Good evening. Welcome to a wintry evening in spring, first of May. Thanks for joining us this evening. We're, we're privileged to have a Dean of Online Education with us, um, Dr. Alan Like. So let's welcome Dr. Like. Thank you for, he's going to be bringing us to word. Let us stand as we worship in song. We serve a holy God, and God is holy. to know people during, who attended class on campus, and I've been in online land for the last couple of years, so your face is new, and Brian, you're relatively new, and your face is new, and we've not met before, and we've not met before, and I just met Kevin, and I think we've met before, and we haven't met before. So my name's Alan Like. It's nice to meet you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for making your way through the snow. Denton and I met a long time ago, and we made acquaintance again just a little bit ago. Um, I, want us, I, want us to, um, I want us to take a look at our, our, key, our key verse for the year. I'm going to look at 2 Timothy, but I want to, I want to start in a different way. I want to um, remind us, let's see, uh, anybody had biblical interpretation yet? I think you guys, okay. Anybody written an exegetical paper yet? Anybody know what an exegetical paper is? Okay, all right, you just wait. You just wait. One of the things that you'll learn in, in uh, introduction, or biblical interpretation, one of the things I hope you're learning in the other biblical literature courses is that context determines meaning. The context of the passage, the context of the recipients. The context of any conversation determines the meaning of the words that you use when you have that conversation. So let me give you an example. I grew up in the Midwest, well, primarily in Michigan. I've lived in, um, lived in Green Bay, Wisconsin for eight years. I lived in uh, Columbia, Missouri for eight years, Kansas City for four, and then I've been here since 95. But when I was a kid, one of the things that I'd say or that we said Excuse me, when, when we were tired, we were just worn out. Is that new? Any, anybody use that phrase? Come on, this is, this is an interactional thing. Anybody use that phrase, worn out? If you're from the South, you might say that you're tuckered out, right? Okay, okay, right, okay, so tuckered out. So, worn out. And then we moved to Green Bay, Wisconsin, and I was talking with Mrs. Wobuso one day. She was our neighbor uh, next door to our apartment. And, and she was talking about all the work that she had done and all the stuff that had been going on in her life. And she said she was just all in. Come on, really? Anybody heard all in before? No, okay, I hadn't either. All in. So worn out, tuckered out, all in. Moved to... Um, moved to, to Columbia, Missouri, met somebody from St. Louis, and my friend from St. Louis was really tired one day. She had had a long day, and she was just too through. 
Now, me either. That's what I said. I don't know. I had no idea what she was talking about. Too through? Yeah, I'm tired. Oh, I get it. So worn out in the Midwest, tuckered out in the South, all in in Green Bay, and too through in St. Louis. Context determines meaning. All of those phrases meant that the person was just tired. Okay, so let me ask you about a couple others. A carbonated beverage. Pop. Absolutely, it's pop. Soda, or it's soda. Or from the South, it's a... Coke. Small C, but it's a Coke, right? Okay. Um, one of the other things, you know, they talk different in Green Bay. They just do. I was, I was a substitute teacher for a year, and, and I was looking for the drinking fountain, and, and I asked the hall attendant who looked for my pass first, and then uh, I, I asked her where I could get, you know, the drinking fountain was, and she kind of looked at me. Everybody, anybody, everybody know what a drinking fountain is? This is not a trick question. Okay. Okay. So I, no, I, you know, I want to get a drink of water. She said, oh, you mean the bubbler. <laughs> context, context means everything. Okay, so I want us to go take a look at our key verse again for the year. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. All in favor say aye. Aye. Okay, and the key verse translation that we've been using is for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a sound mind. That's our theme for this, for the spring, yes? Okay, just making sure we're in the, we're in the same place. Now, context does determine meaning. And the word that is translated sound mind, that word in the Greek only appears in this verse. So those of you who do thorough Bible study, you know that if you find a word in one place and you find that word in another place, it can help you understand what that word means in both places. But this one only happens here. It's just sound, it's just sound mind. So we're really not sure what the context means. We're really not sure what the verse means. In fact, translations aren't, aren't universal in how they handle it. So the NIV says, for the Spirit of God for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Okay? Another translation. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So far, it's good. Okay? And then, from the message paraphrase, God doesn't want us to be shy with his gifts, but bold and loving and sensible. Okay, so one word, four translations. Sound mind, self-discipline, self-control, and sensible. They're similar, but they're different, aren't they? Uh, close, but if you really push the word a little bit, you might have, it might take you, those words might take you in four different directions. But essentially, I think they mean, and I think we'd think they mean, this is something logical. This makes sense, sensible. Or this is the kind of thing that we do, that's self-control, that's the kind of thing that we do to make sure that we're headed in the direction that we want to head. That self-discipline makes sure that we show up for class even though it's snowing when we come to chapel when nobody else does. Thank you very much. 
But it's that rational, reasonable, sensible, logical kind of behavior that really ought to be an extension of someone who is filled with the Spirit of God. Yes? All in favor say aye? I mean, really, right? The Holy Spirit has given, he has given us the spirit of love. He has given us the spirit of power. And he has given us the spirit of self-control, self-discipline, sensible, sound mind. So, one more time through those passages with that in mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind. Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us self-discipline. God gave us a spirit of, not of fear, but of self-control. God doesn't want us to be shy with his gifts. He wants us to be sensible. And I think those all fit. And I think those all, all work within our understanding, our context of what those words mean. But I don't think that that's what Paul had in mind. I don't think that's what Paul had in mind. I think he has something much more radical here. He intends something much more daring than rational, sensible, self-controlled behavior. Because context determines meaning, right? Still, we're still okay? Okay, so go to first, Second Timothy chapter 1 and, and begin with verse 6. And then I want, you, and I want you to listen while I read it along. For this reason, he says, talking to Timothy, for this reason I remind you to fan and flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Verse 7. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us. He has called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Amen? Amen? Absolutely. This grace has given us, was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death. He has brought light and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I am appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. That's the word of the Lord. Did you, did you see it there? Did you see Paul's definition of what it means to have a sound mind? For Paul, having a sound mind meant joining with him in suffering for the gospel. For Paul, Self-discipline meant staying the course, not backing down. For Paul, self-control here meant not running and hiding, but standing up and proclaiming that Christ Jesus has destroyed death and has brought light and life to light. And sensible? Paul says his suffering is no cause for shame. How sensible is that?
the context for what Paul means by a sound mind is shaped, I'm convinced, by the last part of that passage. I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to keep everything that I've committed, that I've paid, that I've invested, that I've given to him until the day I see him again. So for Paul, it was perfectly sane to be persecuted and beaten for telling others of the good news of Jesus Christ. For Paul, it was perfectly logical to spend weeks at sea and years in prison as a result of preaching that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. For Paul, it was perfectly reasonable to proclaim that the greatest of these is love to a bunch of Christians in Corinth who could care less about what Paul thought. For Paul, having a sound mind meant staying true to the gospel of Christ at all costs. And for him to turn his, turn, to turn his back on Jesus would be insanity. The, the, the exact opposite of a sound mind. Now, the bigger context behind our passage is that Timothy is having some faith troubles. He's not sure that he wants to pay the price for his faith in Christ that Paul has been paying. He's watched Paul suffer. He's watched Paul be imprisoned. He's watched Paul be misunderstood. And Timothy is having, he's having second thoughts. And so, like's paraphrase, in essence, Paul is saying to Timothy, you're crazy not to give your whole life to Christ. You're nuts not to follow him completely. To do anything but to belong to Jesus entirely, that's insanity. You see, Christians down through the centuries have believed that having a sound mind means making sure that nothing gets in the way of being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Nothing. Not lions in the Colosseum, not the threats and persecution of Rome, not the contagious plague that killed thousands while the Christians stayed and cared for them, not the banishment to deserted islands that silenced the voices of so many. For Christians, having a sound mind meant making sure that nothing got in the way, that nothing gets in the way of being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. So. Having a sound mind is St. Francis, who gave away all of his wealth and all of his riches and wore rags for the rest of his life and became known as the little Jesus. For Christians, a sound mind is Martin Luther going up against the most powerful re religious and political forces of his day and saying to them, here I stand, I can do no other. For Christians, a sound mind is John Wesley, who began his ministry in the, in the 1730s and until he died in the 1780s, he lived on the same salary every year. Died with a couple of spoons and a handful of books in his, in his bag. That was it. For, 
for Christians of sound mind is Harriet Tubman, who daily risked her lives to get slaves out of the South and into the North, out of enslavement and into freedom. For Christians of sound mind is William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, who went back to the city while the church was leaving and ministered to those folks that the proper and the elite religious leaders wouldn't touch. In fact, they asked him to leave. So he did and founded the Salvation Army. For Christians, a sound mind is Mother Teresa, who is intentionally ministering to the most, who intentionally ministered to the most broken people in Calcutta, the people that nobody else would touch knowing full well there was nothing that they could give her in return. And for Christians, a sound mind is Saeed Abedini, I think is how you pronounce his name. He's an American-born Iranian Christian pastor who is in an Iranian uh, cell today, at this moment, because he believes that it's worth it to preach the gospel. And on, on a cold day like today, in the middle of, uh, toward the end of what has been a long year for you, a sound mind is us doing whatever it is that God has called us to do, regardless of what it costs us. Because we know whom we have believed. And he is able, we're convinced, that he is able to keep all of our homework and all of our tension and all of our pressure and all of our loneliness and all of the wanting to go back home if this isn't home. And all of that investment, he is able to keep and guard that all until the day that he returns. Amen? Amen. So the, best, the passage does beg the question, are we of sound mind? <laughs> so people will look outside at the weather and say, are we of sound mind? Are we of sound mind the way Paul means it here? I think you are. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Timothy had a choice to make. Timothy chose Christ. We have a choice to make again and again. And Paul is hoping that because we're convinced of Christ, that we'll choose him too. Amen? Amen. Stand and sing this song. Thanks to you all for the chance to share the word with you. And may you know the spirit that has given you a sound mind will continue to give you a sound mind in Christ. We're dismissed.